What's up, it's Andrea. Today, Utah has discovered the fountain of youth. We give a science lesson on viruses, and we ask the question, can exes really be friends? Stick around to find out. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking Season 3, Episode 9, The Vengeance Factor. This episode was written by Sam Rolfe and directed by Timothy Bond. It is Stardate 43421.9. Picard mediates a dispute between a pirate band and the Sovereign, the leader of their homeworld, in order to allow the renegades to return under a grant of amnesty. The murder of one of the Gatherer's clansmen puts the negotiation at risk. And Commander Riker is attracted to Utah, the Sovereign's servant. Cue the sexy music again. (laughs) Yeah, so last week's episode, we found ourselves with this lovely romance between Troy and a total douchebag whose name doesn't even matter. This week, we have another lovely romance, but this time between Riker and this humble servant. So I'm not sure if the writers intended to have these episodes actually become back, like come out back to back if that was the plan. But it is kind of nice because, you know, I said it last week and I'll say it again. I really appreciate the relationship between Riker and Troy and how Mm -hmm. they obviously have a past. They have love for each other. And I'm pretty sure they're still friends with benefits, but that's not the part. The part that I admire is that they're happy when one another finds love or happiness. They don't stand in the way of that. They're not super jealous. I mean, you just see this consistently throughout the show where they're just like, hey, whatever makes them happy, makes them happy. Like I'm happy for you. And I really appreciate that. And I think that's so healthy and well-adjusted and, you know, life goals for me. (laughs) I think it, I think it definitely is life goals. I have had exes that we've tried to stay friends and we can be friends for a while, but like, uh, you know, there's always Mm -hmm. like some, um, like residual feelings and it never really works out all the way. It never has for me. And I'm, you know. That even like years back, looking back, I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't need to stay friends with that guy. But I think that it is like life goals for Mm -hmm. someone to like have an ex that can like they can be friendly with. And I think that maybe begs the question, do you guys think that exes can be just friends? And I think Riker and Troy are the epitome of friendly exes who get it on occasionally. But could they be just friends only? I don't know. Without the sex? No, probably not. Right? I would say I probably know. not. No, because probably you know, not. you know that they're sneaking to, to all kinds of places when they're <laughs> <laughs> not on duty. Um, probably not because they have such, such strong feelings for each other mm-hmm. that I don't see them being able to really disconnect that from their friendship. Yeah, and I think that 100%. if one of them got married and they were in like a monogamous marriage, not like an mm-hmm. open marriage, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be the end of their friendship. They wouldn't be able yes. to still be friends because they wouldn't be able to still hook up. I think you're right. I think you're right. And remember, um, in season one, episode 10 Haven, which mm-hmm. can't believe I just pulled that off the top of that my brain. Was that so was impressive. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> you know, no, no big deal. No big deal. Um, she was engaged to that little Prince Wyatt. Charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wyatt. There it is. Thank you. That's also impressive. And Riker was like, Oh, I'm going to take the number 12 bus to Poutsville. <laughs> just pout, pout, pout. Like he was not about it. So. <laughs> uh, exactly. But when she's hooking up with Rawl last episode, he's just like, whatever makes Troy happy, makes me happy. I wish yeah. you both the best. Good luck. You know, like no, no problems. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that is also a reflection of like the writer's 
expanding a little bit more and like their like relationship maturing a little bit more. But I don't know. I think if she's hooking up with Raw, Riker's like, I could also get a side dish of Troy. You know, Mm -hmm. you never know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's just let's just jump right in. So this is a really cool episode. I really like it a lot. The episode opens right as the away team is beaming into like a super creepy place. Yeah. I love episodes that start that way. It's not the standard like Captain's Log Stardate. You know, it's just like you just get right into the action. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did they're in this like green lit, sort of beat up looking space station. God knows what that is. Which or I, what it was. I originally thought it was a board cube because of the green tint on everything. Mm-hmm. No, board cubes always are have this green tint. And I was yes. like, why are they being so cavalier walking through a board cube? And also who ransacked this board cube? Because cubes are usually immaculate. Like they don't, yeah. they're like Disneyland employees. There's not a speck of dust on the floor yeah. at any point in time. They've got <laughs> right. board drones going around, just cleaning up everything. Yep. Um, but this was a total mess. And so I was like, okay, this maybe is not a board cube, but what is going on right now? Yes. It really wasn't like super clear where they were, but they were clearly in some kind of little like out post that had just been badly damaged and you're right nobody fucks with the with the board Mm -hmm. the board fucks with you okay so (laughs) nobody is going to be destroying anything on the damn board ship anyway but they they find that behind this like heavy set of doors there's some like faint life signs Mm -hmm. and the door is jammed sharice data super strength oh Mm -hmm. i love it so much i love seeing him like not even breaking a sweat, not mm-hmm. even the tip of his lip is sweating. And he's like <laughs> cranking this, you know, and like Riker's like, I can't get it. You know, and he's putting all of his like six yeah. foot four against it and it's not budging. I, I, I don't know. How do you feel when you see Dana do the super string? Yeah. I, so I had a few questions about this scene to answer your question. Like it's awesome. And I thought that should have been the first choice. So Riker see, so, okay. Setting this scene, there are some life signs behind this big, heavy door, but it's kind of all blocked. And mm-hmm. so Riker turns to Worf and says, hey, Worf, get the door open, which I thought was like, but why? But, you know, whatever. <laughs> he tried it and he's like, rah, rah, and like not. Moving. Yeah. So it's like, OK, yep. just, you know, sir, this isn't budging. And then Data opens it in like one second. So I was like, well, why didn't you just have Data do it in the first place? But maybe he didn't know it was that heavy. At maybe. the same time, we have Beverly walking away from the life signs. And towards some like random piece of metal that she's scanning with her tricorder. And she's all like, oh, there's like blast. Oh, no. She says, look, this metal has blood on it. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, what's happened here? And I was like, whoa, whoa. Didn't we just say there are life signs behind that door? I feel like Worf should be the one analyzing the random chunk of steel. Sure. Data yep. should be opening the super heavy door. <laughs> Riker should probably have a phaser ready because clearly yep. some stuff has gone down. And Beverly should be waiting to help some sick people. But by the time data opens the door, the life signs have turned to no signs. I guess, I guess they all died. I don't know. Wait, was there one alive? Maybe one survived. No, there were, I think it was, it turns out that there were some scientists that were like hit by phaser bursts. We find out. And I think some of them died and maybe some of them survived. And the fact that we're not super sure just goes (laughs) to show how fucking unimportant that was. Cause we're like, some survived. I don't know. And who cares? Honestly, like who cares? Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't matter like at all <laughs> listeners. It just, it doesn't, that part doesn't matter. The rest of the story is great, but this part not so important, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. This is akin to like the terraforming episode where that poor dude is getting cut up by the plasma <laughs> gun or whatever. And then they finally get that stupid thing shut off. And Riker's like, you know what I'm going to do right now? Let me call the captain and just tell, or no, let me do it first. Let me make a log. log. Yeah. Let me make a log about what's going on. And once my log is complete, then I'm going to say medical emergency. Let's beam him to sick bay. <laughs> you know, here's the thought. Yes. Here's a thought. Imagine, you know, I'm not really a 
big journaler. I try to, I try to, but I forget about it all the time. But imagine, you know, you're carrying around a diary or a journal because you're a person who likes to do journals at the end of the day and something important's happening and you just whip out your journal and you stop what you're doing to just write, mm-hmm. not saving it for the end of the day. That's how ridiculous that sounds to me. But you know what, to make it a little more modern to our times, it's kind of like you see something ridiculous happening and you take a picture and post it on Instagram, which I think people do do all the time. So yeah. maybe there's something to what Riker's doing here. Cause I, you know, there's a car crash, there's something on fire. People are like, hold on, hold, hold on. They like pause and take out their phone record it and then maybe call 911 but maybe not i've literally seen that i feel like in that situation you've got somebody calling 911 and somebody else taking a video but i don't know i will say on reddit there was an entire thread called don't help just film and it's like people struggling there's like a, car a kid like still in a pool and he can't swim oh, and they just whip the phone out and just watch them struggle and it's like don't help just that film. is that is one of my biggest pet peeves in life is the people who do not help but just film like yeah i've, I've literally almost gotten do we need footage of this, over this. are yeah. you going to watch this over and over Oof. again like what are you doing so anyway. that, that being said, I actually do have in my notes that there were several phaser hits to each scientist and the scientists were alive. So there we go. I don't know okay. why Beverly wasn't over there with them, but they were all beamed to sick bay. On, Beverly. They were all alive, but unconscious and ser- seriously injured. And that's when we find out that there are these nomadic marauders, which is such a cool word, marauders, mm-hmm. um, known as the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Known as the gatherers. And they are from yes. the Akamar system. And they just kind of go around ransacking people, places, ships, what have you. They're like galaxy mafia, but less sophisticated. And they just, they take what they need. They're pirates. They're totally, they're space pirates. That's exactly what they are. Yeah. And we find out that there was a one race from this world. um, And these people are called the Akamarians. And yeah, so some, there was some worrying and whatnot, sort of a little bit murky in the background. And this gatherers the pirates kind of broke off and spent a hundred years you know like wandering the stars and like you know living how they want to live by just taking Mm -hmm. and surviving and at this point the akamarian sovereign whose name is maruk comes aboard and she's trying to recall the gatherers she wants to like bring them home i'm not sure what the impetus was for that decision but somewhere on Akamar, I guess they've made the decision to like bring them all back so that they can yeah. like all live as one. So she doesn't. Mark. She doesn't really want to bring them home. Um, when we open up in this next scene after Sick Bay, we see Captain Picard persuading her to bring them home. She's, oh, he's saying like these people belong to you. These are your people, and they're out here ransacking the galaxy, and we can't have that. So my request is that you would bring them home, like reintegrate them into your society. So that way they have access to food and everything else they need. So they're not just robbing and, you know, shooting people all over the place. And so she's just like, nope, nope, nope. Like not possible. They are just totally different from our culture. They don't fit with us. They're not part of us. We've been at war for a long time. We made an attempt to bring them back. um, And they didn't want, they didn't want peace between our people. So we said, forget them. And he's like, well, when was the last time you tried for peace? And she says 18 years ago. And he's like, okay well i think it's time for another try she made it seem like we just talked yesterday and they hung up in my face you know what that sounds like that's like when you're having a fight with someone and they don't want to apologize so they end up saying i'm sorry we're fighting you're like what no you're not even trying very hard (laughs) and are you sorry we're fighting or are you sorry you're losing on the fight like let's be real specific with what we're sorry about 
<laughs> so yes. that's what happened. And so Picard being very, a very persuasive diplomat convinces Maruk to just at least have a conversation, like just talk to some of these gatherers and see if it's possible. Um, because we need some kind of peaceful solution instead of us just like rounding them up and exterminating that's them. That's right. Which, that's right. Finding which was, which was Maruk's idea. She was like, yeah, let's get them all and put them all in prison. And he's like, that's not what I mean. Like, <laughs> Let's bring peace and get yeah. them out Maruk, of there. We may yeah. need a recall vote because I don't know if your <laughs> solutions are that great, to be honest. But yeah, they do beam down to the super cool planet and she's trying to talk to them around this campfire and it's just not going well. It's like trying to talk to the closest race I thought of were the Klingons, but just like much drunker and much rowdier. Mm -hmm. At least Klingons like have a code of honor that they live by and they, it's very sacred to them. But this was like the rowdiness of the Klingons minus the honor. Klingon rowdiness plus minus honor equals the gatherers. (laughs) I feel like that's my equation because it just, it, it was just not going well at all. We missed a few scenes between this conversation on the bridge in the observation lounge and the conversation that the sovereign is having with the gatherers. There, there's a couple things that happen between those two spots. And the biggest thing is that there's an away team that goes down to the planet to kind of find the gatherers to bring them to the negotiation table. So mm-hmm. they beam down to this planet and it is such a cool set. It's yes. just like everything. Yes. It's got these metal struts everywhere and like steam and like fire and it looks super duper cool. So they're looking around and they're kind of like scanning everything and they're like, where are the people? We can't find them. Then it comes to find out that there is actually an ambush. And we learned that because Worf yells out ambush, which I guess is what you do in that situation. I (laughs) I don't. I don't totally get that, but I I have seen that on TV many times. If I were hiking somewhere and somebody screamed out ambush. I would immediately get down. That's yeah. what I would do. So, yeah. I mean, it was effective. Yeah. Right, effective. right. You would, yeah, somebody <laughs> somebody wouldn't yell like get down or danger. They would yell ambush. And then everyone's yeah. like, oh, it's an ambush. So um, anyways, <laughs> so then they, they all kind of like hide and they're, they're having this firefight, but the gatherers have really old crap technology, which is why they're going around stealing things from people, right? They're not, yep. they're not creators. They don't make their own technology. They don't make their own strides. They just steal mm-hmm. what they need. They're yep. kind of like Aladdin. Right. They're just kind of like taking what they need to survive, um, but less charming. <laughs> oh, Aladdin. That is I didn't think of that even remotely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they are right. Because he's like stealing food and he's still like he's still in stuff to survive. Stealing bread to like feed his monkey and win a princess's heart. I 100 <laughs> percent get it. This is the gatherers. Right here. <laughs> not get behind that character. Uh, No, no. Problematic a little. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So there's this really cool part where, um, they're like, what's the, what's the heating temperature or whatever of some kind of metal that the Mm -hmm. gatherers had put in a big pile and they figure out the vaporize the vaporization temperature. And then when they hit it with a phaser, it just made this huge cloud of steam for them to hide behind. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh snap, that was so clever. And they were like, beam us out of here. And I was like, wow, they managed to escape. And then when the gatherers come down they're like, Oh, you cowards, they ran, they pop out of the bushes and they're like ambush, you know, and they, (laughs) they ambush, (laughs) (laughs) they ambush the gatherers. And I was like, Oh snap, the tables have turned. God, that was, I just wrote, I just wrote Worf, Riker and data pull a switcheroo. (laughs) That's what I wrote. Your description is so much better. Ambush. And then ambush. (laughs) It's like, it's like that that trope when one guy is standing there and another guy standing behind him with a gun to his head and another guy standing behind that guy with a gun to his head and another guy standing by that guy. (laughs) And then it becomes, this just like, you know, 
infinity it's a loop. Yeah, it's yeah, a it's just a of, like, circle. A guy with a gun. <laughs> but this is but this was great. They only had the one layer of guns behind the guns, which was awesome. So then in the next scene, we have the sovereign trying to talk to the gatherers with Picard acting as mediator because he actually mm-hmm. is a diplomat. He's a great negotiator. And the challenge here is, like you said, the um, the gatherers are very rowdy. They're like just a super rowdy bunch. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that the sovereign is very refined and everything. Yes. And like, so Picard is trying to be some kind of go between. And I was getting flashbacks. I don't know about you, Andrea, but I was getting flashbacks to the Mariposans and, um, you know, mm. like the, the two different cultures that both came from the first, the same ship, but the two ships landed on different planets and they evolved wow. differently. I did not think of that until you just said it, but I absolutely can see that. And the Mariposans as the sovereign, like looking their looking down their mm-hmm. nose, like mm-hmm. at the gatherers. Yeah. And saying, you can come be one of us, I guess. But, you know, they're yeah. so like, you know, high and mighty. And the gatherers are just like, we don't want any of that. We like our nomadic life. Yeah. We like living on our own terms and not following rules. And it's kind of like, ooh, how are you going to make this a really sexy offer for them to come back to the planet and like obey all these rules they haven't had to do? Yes. A hundred percent. Well, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this, one little thing that we did um, pass over is that the sovereign brings her retinue of servants with her. And one of them is this very, very beautiful servant slash cook slash food taster slash whatever. Right hand girl. Yes. Utah. And as I hear it, I'm thinking of the spelling of the state. And not the way that actually is, which is Y-U-T-A. And I was like, oh, that's a cool way to like say the same. It's like the mm-hmm. name now is like totally singular. Mm-hmm. But he Riker suddenly wants to wash Utah's feet, you mm-hmm. know, and he's like giving her a tour and showing her the food replicators because she's cooking her own food. So she's like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So now the Sovereign and Utah are on the planet and the sovereign is trying to persuade the barbarians to basically just shut the fuck up and listen. And one of the old gatherers walks away and Utah follows him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, Oh, and he's like, he's very old. I mean, he's like pushing a hundred and he's Mm -hmm. like, I've seen you before. And she's like 25 at Mm -hmm. most. And She's like, it is possible that you have. And he's like, no, it's not possible. She's like, it is. And then she touches him and then he knocks over dead. I was like, oh, damn. Utah is on a mission. And we don't know what it is yet, but she's on a damn mission. And also those are some hot hands, girl. Yes. Watch out. Yes, she has the touch of death. And as he's sitting yep. there like dying, she looks over his body and says, I am Utah, the last of the Trelesta clan. And you're like, whoa, what is this yeah. about? So much of a bigger story. This story was so much bigger than like, oh, these two people are in like negotiating. Okay, whatever. Like, who cares about mm-hmm. that? This mm-hmm. is like, now we really get into the meat of the story. Yes. And we've got this huge, cool. we've got this huge mystery of like, Utah, what is she up to exactly? Why is she sneaking around? Why is she following this old guy? Why did she just kill him? Why did she say that from what clan she's from? What even is the clan of Trelesta? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, why, why can why? he, why does he remember her? And he's like 99 years old and she's 22 or whatever. Yeah. Like- yeah. So many questions, so many questions. And now this, this whole story becomes this mystery where you're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, something is going on and we don't know what, and I don't even know how many minutes into the episode before we actually find it all out? I feel like it was very many minutes. Like there was, there was a lot of unraveling going on, but that's what made this episode really fun to watch because you're totally yes. sucked in. You're like, what, what is going yes. on here? Yes. I thought this was really one of the first episodes in TNG where the B plot 
um, or secondary plot. Cause I don't think it's a B plot. I think it's just parallel and secondary and just as important, if not more so, um, is revealed like this late in the first storyline, mm-hmm. right? We're like, usually it's like captain's log. We are headed to blah, 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 um, to go deal with X, Y, Z problem. Also some Anticons and Sailor are going to play tag on the, on the corridors for a while mm-hmm. go. Right. Like they present mm-hmm. both storylines right off the beginning. And now this is like a surprise storyline. Yeah. That, like we didn't even know it was there. I was like, Ooh, this is so good. It was so good. Um, also, can I just say, Tricorders apparently have like even more layers of sophistication than we thought <laughs> because it looks like the old gatherer died of a heart attack, um, but they can't find a cause. And the tricorder is able to detect strong cardiac muscle and that he had no arterial inclusions. <laughs> she was like, I don't see how he had a heart attack. His cardiac muscle was really strong. He had no arterial inclusions. And I was like, wait a second. You can get all that from like just a tricorder scan. By the way, I, like an on-site two second, like, okay, yeah, no, this is everything that's going on in his body. I wonder, if, like, you can, I wonder if you can narrow it down and say like, like focus on heart, you know, like as she's pushing yeah. buttons to get that detailed scan of just that part of the body. Yeah, but she yeah, didn't these, have a little detachable probe or anything. These tricorders, man, we need these things. They yeah. can do everything. Like, yep. so cool. We, if we got tricorders and phasers and replicators, we wouldn't need any other piece of technology in our lives because that could tell yeah. us everything we need to know. I feel like we, as people have said that for millennia, like if I could get a way to transport myself quickly from one ocean to the other, that would be all I need. Like, <laughs> you know, and then as we get more and more stuff, we're like, man, all we need are transporters. Man, all we need are tricorders. <laughs> yeah. Um, I stand by okay. what I said. <laughs> I didn't put transporters in my list, but I will, oh, add, I will add transporters. I need, I need transporters. I, I'm not a big person. I'm only like five foot one. So flying on a plane is not a major inconvenience because I can fit in like the airline seat. Okay. But mm-hmm. it's still uncomfortable and I don't like it. So let's get, let's get on the transporters. I'd be really psyched. About yeah. That. I would just want to not be on 405 traffic. That's what I would use. That'd be for. nice. Oh man. It'd, see, it'd be total sight to sight. You're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking. <laughs> And I'm like, let me go to transporter one and then beam to like the Coliseum of Rome. <laughs> and then, oops, I forgot my sunscreen. Let me beam back home and like grab the sunscreen. Okay, I'll be back oh, home. I'm going to go to Rome this afternoon. That'd be so cool. Yeah, you're thinking small beans, girl. We need to like, <laughs> I'm going to London tonight for an hour. <laughs> anyway, all right, we're a little off track here. Much like the gatherers. Brule is the leader of the gatherers and he's finally willing to like come aboard the enterprise to continue these talks. And we see him on the bridge and Mm -hmm. he laughs when he sees Wesley at the helm. He's like a boy. What is this? And I thought it was really funny because he's basically chiding Wesley for being young, Mm -hmm. which is the very thing that Picard did not like about Wesley in the beginning. But Mm -hmm. I guess Wesley has saved our asses from destruction enough times that Picard now has some respect for him because Mm -hmm. Picard gives Brule this look Mm -hmm. and it's enough to silence him. And I was like that right there, that's control. That is control. He gives him the death stare. I love that. He tries to totally punk Wesley and Picard's like, what'd you just say? And he's just like, so anyways, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, the smile just gets wiped from his face. And mentioning that scene, you really get to see some of the detail on um, Brule's face where he's got these like scars and injuries and stuff in the high def. Um, that I see on Netflix when I'm watching it, 
it mm-hmm. kind of takes away the mystery a little bit. It takes away some of the the brilliance yeah. of this episode because you can see like the the part where it was glued down and stuff like that. Yes, yes, just like those ugly bumps. I really, yeah. really did not like that. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can see where it was like the those prosthetics were applied just because our our definition on our television is like so good now. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, you wouldn't have been able to tell, and it would have been flawless execution. I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. I, I loved the fact that all the gatherers had these like face scars and just like, you just basically this, it's showing you that they have a really rough life, a really yes. rough life because Maruk was like so polished. I mean, her, her sorry didn't have like a, a little speck of dirt. Like she was just not even clean, a wrinkle, not a yeah. wrinkle. She was just clean and polished and perfect. She had this like gray streak in her hair that was perfectly parted. And I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. everything was like all together. And so to see the gatherers having these scars on their face of all places that just shows yeah. like man like like hot oil's been thrown on them and all kinds of crazy stuff that yeah. they've been through yeah. and i really well, like that that bit of detail i thought was really genius i think that you are spot on there i agree with you completely i also would extend that to their costumes mm-hmm. their costumes oh, sure. and uniforms are just completely in line with the kind of life they would have. Everything is ragtag and thrown together and whatever they can harvest from someone else's uniform mm-hmm. or some shit on the ground, it is completely like in line with what kind of life they lead. And I thought that was really cool. I did not like the bumps on their face because I thought they looked kind of grotesque and like mm-hmm. pustule yeah. But yeah, you're right. In the ultra high def, like you could totally see it's like, oh, there's your like sticky tack glue that's like mm-hmm. on your chin, yeah. like where they stuck this on. Um, but yeah, even like the hair and like the way they stand, like they really major, major props to Timothy Bond for the for the directing on this mm-hmm. because all of the gatherers had like a swagger to them they and totally kind of like did. yep you know it wasn't and like it's they very jovial they kind of like remind me of like a biker gang not that i've seen one in person to really know but on tv how they're yes. all kind of like buddy buddy and like yeah you know they kind of had that that buddy very buddy rough. feel mm-hmm. yeah rough but also like um like a brotherhood right like yes. they were they were just you know embracing each other and pushing each other and all of that stuff and they yeah. had this swagger and the way they talked and like sat and chewed gum and just all that stuff and there's a scene later on when Brule comes into 10 Ford and just totally snatches somebody's drink that the bartender just like put on the counter for them to drink. They're mm-hmm. going to reach for it. And Brule's like, yoink, and just drinks it. And I was just yep. like, oh my gosh, like this is, I labeled the- him. I labeled him worst manners in the galaxy. Cause I was like, what are you doing? Just stealing someone's such, drink. This is I've so been, in line. Though. He's literally a gatherer, right? So like, they don't care about stealing all kinds of stuff, yeah. but yeah. like punking some guy who's in his nice little uniform for his drink and not even thinking twice about it. Of course he would do something like that. Mm-hmm. I felt like all those mm-hmm. little touches were again, not necessary. They didn't have to do all of this to build this But it world. told such a cohesive story, didn't it? I thought it was, I thought that was really mm-hmm. amazing, but it was so well done. And I really appreciate that extra mile. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, now we're getting a little bit of like backstory on why there are clans and kind of like what was going on. So Sovereign Maru gives us some backstory about her people. She said that there were once, they were all once barbarian clans obsessed with vengeance for the most minor and petty transgressions. Mm-hmm. And these obsessions would be passed down from one generation to the next to the next. And each time, you know, vengeance like would be extracted, um, it would escalate the violence. So it'd be like, oh, you kicked my dog and then I cut your finger off and then Mm -hmm. I sliced your arm off and then I killed you and then I burned down your whole village. Mm -hmm. It just completely escalated. Um, And so now we actually have a little bit more understanding of like, oh, Utah talking about the clan Trelesta and like 
uh, okay, so she's there's some vengeance and yeah. makes sense with the title, the vengeance factor. Like she's she's out on a mission. Um, and as you said, Brol does swagger into 10 forward and he pisses Wesley off, which isn't easy to do. And he's got these horrible manners, and he's like, You ain't like taking somebody else's drink. And while we're in 10 forward. Yuta comes in and she sees Commander Riker sitting with Counselor Troy. And earlier they had had the discussion as Riker had shown Yuta the food replicator. She's like, I can use this to make some dishes, but I'll also need like a kitchen to make my like signature dishes. And he's like, come on, what's your signature dish? And she's so resistant and just like, I don't, I'm not special. Don't think of me as special. And he's Mm -hmm. like, well, you must have some special dish you make. And she says, Parthus which is a green fleshy vegetable with like roots that you eat. And I was like, interesting. I immediately was like, what would be a Parthus dish? If I had to make something right now, like what would that, what would Mm -hmm. that be? So I've been kind of brainstorming in my mind, like what would Parthus be? So Riker says this little flirty, like Parthus a la Utah. So she walks in with this Parthus dish with like, a serving dish, two napkins, two like roll up service. She was ready for Riker to be like man killing it with like Troy and Troy's being a very good friend. And she kind of sees that he is like interested in having you to join. She's like, no, no, I can't interrupt. Thank you. Troy being like, you know what? I was actually just leaving anyway. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And I love that. She kind of walks out and has her little like swagger and leaves them to like sit and talk. And she's going to go ahead and call Devanani Rawl and see what's up. <laughs> she wants to have some subspace communication sex. Right, while, he, while he's dining with his traveling companion. Yeah. <laughs> Got all subspace kinds of stuff going on right now. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Utah is very enigmatic. She's very shy and like mm-hmm. retiring and we just saw her like kill a dude but mm-hmm. she's also seems to be sort of like afraid and resistant of like the power that she has so you're like okay there's gotta be some kind of backstory like she just murdered someone and her people are prone to vengeance but we can surmise like she said she's on a mission she's like i can't leave service i can't leave working with the sovereign because my path is like laid out for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and Riker is like i don't really understand like you you're free to walk away, but you won't like, I don't understand servitude. Cause you know, this is 24th century humans. Like we hopefully don't have that anymore. And we certainly don't in Star Trek. So he's like, I, I want to talk to you as an equal. And she's like, I can't, I'm not, don't look at me. Enjoy my Parthas dish. You know, and it's like, yeah. Utah, what is going on mm-hmm. with you girl? Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was a very interesting scene. It was, it was. And we see this, this romance bloom between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. It because he was flirting with her earlier when he first met her in the sovereign's quarters, and now they're kind of having a date ish together and yeah. having something to eat and getting to know each other more. And you're just like, she is like fascinating. Like, what is her secret? And did she really just kill that guy? Like, you're still kind of mm-hmm. like, did that just happen? And now we're just still chilling, eating Parthus. Like that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we know what she did, and she know what she did. But Riker, exactly. Well, that's no what I'm idea. Yeah. So, yeah. so she's just like going about her business. Like, of course she is. I mean, there's what's really interesting about Utah is that she's not suspicious at all. Right. She's just doing exactly. Her duty. There's nothing different about her. So mm-hmm. we're like, wow. I mean, that takes a really cold customer to just murder somebody and be like, I am from the clan. Trilesta. Parthis, anyone, you know, just like, <laughs> yeah. Can like, pass wow. The salt, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then in our next scene, we end up in sick bay and here, um, uh, Beverly is talking to, I believe it's Riker 
mm-hmm. for some reason. I, why wouldn't you call the captain? I don't get that. <laughs> why wouldn't you call the That's yeah. what I was thinking. I was like, huh? Okay. I was I like, did write, did Rikers like, did, did like Jonathan Frakes like writer indicate that he had to be in like X number of scenes and they're like, all right, let's just slap him. Or maybe like Patrick Stewart was busy doing a press junket somewhere or something. I don't know. I was like, were they filming in tandem, like two places at once? Cause it's like, why wouldn't you call the captain over? I, I don't get that. At why all. would you call Riker? But I mean, I guess they are a bit interchangeable when it comes to ship's operations, but still. I guess. So for some reason she calls Riker question mark. And then he comes and finds <laughs> out that what killed this old guy, um, this gatherer was a virus, a virus that could only kill like one in a million Akamarians. And it's so ridiculously specific that it has to have been engineered. It is a bioweapon, which is like, what? One in a million, like who exactly is it for? Why is it, Mm -hmm. why was it created? And this just creates more questions. There's more questions than answers. Now, you know, yes. that he didn't die of a heart attack, but it looked like a heart attack. And even mm. when he died on the planet, the gatherers, including like Brol, was just like, he was old. old. He had a heart attack, yeah. whatever. Take his shoes. Yep. Like it yep. was not at all. No one thought anything suspicious, but Beverly went that extra mile and she almost missed it herself. But then she found out that, Hey, this is a bioweapon. And actually this guy was murdered. So now it's turned into a murder mystery. Yeah. And now Riker's like, uh, Oh, you know, so now the questions who, yep. when, why, what, where, like, what is going on right now? I actually loved this scene. And I thought that they did a really great job at sort of describing what this microvirus does and like how it works. Um, because in cell and molecular biology, um, we learn that proteins and um, enzymes and coenzymes, they all work together and they activate each other by shape. So you have, you know, think about that little kids, uh, the like baby's toy where you have to put like the square peg in the square hole, right? Like if it's round, it's not going to fit. So it's not going to activate like whatever reaction it's designed to to like create. Mm-hmm. And if things go wrong in your body, it can change the shape of like the hole. So you might have the perfect like square peg or star shaped peg, but now the hole is like all messed up. Mm-hmm. And so like it, it won't work. And that's, and that's actually um, the cause of like a number of like illnesses and like things that people like lifetime, like diseases that people have to live with mm-hmm. where those proteins are changed and your body can't put them back in the right shape. Right. So I thought it was really interesting that she had described that this microvirus only kills when the virus attaches to the right shape of cell and Mm -hmm. then it kills. And I was like, ah, like I had such a nerdgasm about that where I was like, this is exactly like that enzyme coenzyme like situation Mm -hmm. where like has to fit in these perfect shapes. Otherwise it doesn't work at all. So she can run her hands all over Riker's luscious locks, but like (laughs) nothing will happen to him. Damn you, Utah, but it will kill, (laughs) but it will kill the the, um, specific, like the very, very specific clan, which is interesting Mm -hmm. that now as at least as scientists, we know that the clans have different genetic makeups, which is really, really interesting. It is. And it kind of makes sense because I picture the clans as like tribes. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, a clan would be, it would have a lot of family members. So it makes sense that they would have the same genetics, Mm -hmm. but also you would need to mix outside of that. That way you can introduce genetic variability. And so that your babies don't have flippers. So ultimately you would think everybody's DNA would be sufficiently mixed, but maybe there's some special traits that helps you Mm -hmm. trace back that you're mostly X, Y, Z clan. Yeah. Um, which is just, yeah, which is super interesting from a scientific standpoint. And even from a sociological standpoint, like what kind of society was this that had these 
splinter groups. Yeah. And then not only do they have all these clans, right. That were all at war. And then somehow they came to peace. Mm-hmm. Another group splintered off to become the gatherers, the ones who did not want to live in peace and harmony on the planet, but they wanted to live their life on their own terms. And we've already mm-hmm. established that both the mixture of people on the planet and the mixture of people that are gatherers are a mix of all of the clans. Yeah. So there still has been a clan peace, like regardless of whether they stayed on the planet or not. So that's also interesting. Like, wait a minute, they're all mixed together. This is not like the one clan on this planet, mm-hmm. which is just fascinating. I think that, I think you're right. It's super, super fascinating. And I love how they talk about that just very briefly and enough to really like entice you. And again, I feel like, as you said earlier, this episode really does create more questions than it creates answers or it's like, but why, but how, but genetic, <laughs> what, um, it, but it answers them sufficiently enough for this, for the plot that oh, you're sure. satisfied. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did again, a spectacular job on that. Um, and then Utah shows up to Riker's quarters and she's like, I had, I finished all my duties. Um, and the sovereign thought you might you know, I might be like happy if I kept you company. And I was like, number one, very perceptive of the sovereign. I was like, good mm-hmm. job, Maruk. You, you spotted that from a mile away. Mm-hmm. And, and Riker's like, well, you know, but I did notice, remember <laughs> last week at the beginning of the episode, Troy was exhausted and just kind of going through her mail and like mm-hmm. wearing a chocolate sundae and just like trying to unzip her skin tight uniform and take her bra off and just like relax. Mm-hmm. Riker was trying to do the same thing. He was like leaning way back on his chair and just super trying to like have some downtime. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh cool. We're starting to see a little bit behind the scenes off the bridge off duty. Mm-hmm. What does your life look like? Mm-hmm. And in Riker's super fucking charmed life, a beautiful blonde woman <laughs> comes to the door to be like, you ordered me here, you know, or whatever. And she yeah, tries what to all Trey him. got was that lousy <laughs> mind reading jerk. <laughs> Yeah. God, he sucked. We hate you, Rawl. Um, well, let's add him to the punchable faces of Star- Starfleet. Let's, yes, let's add him to that bingo chart for sure. Yes, he needs to be on that chart. I agree. It's gonna be it's gonna be the punchable faces of Starfleet Rubik's Cube, because we're gonna have way more than like 15 like faces. <laughs> I think a bingo chart can hold 25, and I think we're up to like 10 at this point. Yeah, so we got some, and we're only we got in season a little three. bit. We're only in season three. We got some space. Um Yes. Okay. So Yuta tries to seduce him and it's super cringy in my opinion. And she's like, isn't this what you want? What, tell me what I can do. I'll do anything. And I got to tell you in my youth, when I was like younger and cuter, I had a man who had a crush on me and he was exactly that kind of guy where he's like, tell me anything you want and I'll do it. I'll do anything. I was like, Mm -hmm. "Ew, dude, come on, man. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to date like a blob of jello. I want a backbone. And I so applauded that Riker also wanted a backbone. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, bud. Cause he's like, look, um, I don't want a servant. I want an equal. And she says, even in matters of love. And he says, especially in matters of love. And then I couldn't hear the next two minutes. Cause I was just like snapping so hard and like <laughs> clapping. I was like, yes, thank you. Riker. I fucking love the like equal. I love the, um, sexual equality that Riker always craves. Like the women go to his bed because they want to, and he invites them to, but it's never like a love slave kind of situation, which like, you know, Worf is all about backhanding the shit out of a woman and knocking her unconscious (laughs) and then sewing his seat in her or whatever the hell. And it's disgusting in my opinion. So I love that Riker is like, no, I want an equal. I want you here because you want to be here, not because you've been ordered here. Yeah, to be fair to Worf, they did evolve his character past that nonsense of season one. That was, Thank ugh, disgusting. God. 
because yeah. by the time we got to season two and we we have you know Kalar, that's a yeah. whole different story. There's no backstory going on there. She's the one in charge. He's the one trying no, to be just, like it's just killing holographic monsters and then <laughs> yeah, right. and then having sex and then saying let's get married and then her being like, man, I have things to do. I got a go. career woman. I'm a woman I of the nineties. Go. The 2390s, okay? The 2390s, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I I appreciate that too, that Riker wants an equal. And we see this from him time and time again with all the alien women he beds is that he wants an equal, which is super respectable. He's the opposite of Rawl of last week. He wants somebody who like, and I love, like she said, like, I want to give you pleasure. And he's like, I do want that. And I want to give you pleasure. Like this should be a two-way street. And I just think that's Mm -hmm. super hot. So Mm -hmm. I was, I was happy about that, but then quickly YouTube breaks down and she's like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be an equal. I don't deserve pleasure. I don't deserve any of this. I don't have a heart. I don't have feelings. All of that stuff died within me a long time ago. She's so damaged and like, it's just coming out and we know what she did. We know one thing she did, but we're also like, Hmm. We also like can see she's like, she's like a butterfly with some broken wings and she's in pain because Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. And it, it's this right here, I think is fantastic writing where you can take a, a stone cold murderer and feel sorry for them and like, mm-hmm. be like, are you okay? Stone cold murderer. <laughs> Do you need some tea? <laughs> which is, which is part of this? <laughs> Make you feel better? Yeah. Which is really yes. great writing. Really great writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, Riker doesn't get to seal the deal, unfortunately, because the Enterprise goes to red alert. Now, Brol had agreed to come on board the Enterprise to continue these talks and meet up with the leader of the gatherers, whose name is Chorgan. And so, you know, Riker and Yuta are snuggling and he's trying to console this very, very damaged woman. And Chorgan's ship starts firing on the Enterprise. So suddenly the Enterprise is bucking and shaking. So he's got to leave her there and head up to the bridge. And Chorgan's ship is like, pew, 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 you know? And I love that the Enterprise is like, uh, we're going to fire phasers at like 0.1% and shut this shit down. And it immediately does. They're like a mm-hmm. little teeny show of strength. And Chorgan's like rolling over and showing his belly immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, Suddenly, okay, well. He's hailing. Yeah. Like, he's not answering hails. He just keeps firing. You know what? Go ahead and take out, take out his shields. <laughs> and then it's like, doom, shields are down. Doo-doo. He's hailing. It's like, uh-huh. Of course he's hailing now. <laughs> now we could have avoided this whole ugly mess. I don't understand why they were firing in the first place because surely if they have nothing else in their technology as gatherers, they've got to have scanners. They've got to have scanners and they've got to know when they're outgunned. Like that is a critical life skill right now, especially for pirates. (laughs) You've got to know when you're outgunned. So I'm like, what were they even thinking to be firing on the enterprise? But anyways, that whole uh, showdown comes to a close very quickly. (laughs) The shields are down. They're they're hailing and the enterprise has the upper hand and Picard and the sovereign beam over to begin talks. Like it's like, and, and moments later it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, yeah. Fast. Which I thought was weird. I was like, why wouldn't they, if he's going to be forced beaming people, why wouldn't he force beam Chorgon over to his ship? Why would he Thank beam you. into enemy territory? Which Riker even points out like, sir, this seems kind of dangerous. And he's like, eh, it'll be fine. Like, you know, <laughs> like he knows he already knows he can't. And I'm like, didn't we, didn't we have the same conversation about just- the packlets? Yeah. Like when it was like, Jordy will be fine. And they had kidnapped him and then they like pull his own phaser on him and then he's not fine. And Shoot they him a bunch of times. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, I, Picard, I think you should, uh, as my cousin put it, never, ever, 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 ever go on away missions ever, <laughs> which I agree with, but whatever. 
So your cousin said this now. My my cousin who's in the military, the one who's always giving me the inside scoop on like how military life is and how that Mm -hmm. compares and contrasts with what they live with on the enterprise. When he's like, now in reality, it'd be this, or like, maybe they would do this. He'd be like, no, he's the captain. What is he doing? Going off the ship. Like, no, that's not, you stay there. That's what you have all the other people for. You know what else we should do besides our bingo card of the most punchable faces? We should also keep some kind of tally of how many times Picard beams into a situation that's ridiculously dangerous that he has no place being in. And, and also no plan. Sound. Also no plan for it, where he's like, it'll be fine. But what happens if it's not? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll fly by the seat of my pants. What? You are the captain of the flagship. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to do this. Okay. <laughs> okay do this is just making me mad. Anyway, all right. So yeah, they beam over and start these talks. And I love this moment. This is this scene, Cherise, that we see next is 100% my childhood. Like I watched this again to review this episode on the podcast, but watching it, I saw it through like my 10 year old eyes. I remember it like it was yesterday aboard the enterprise data Riker and crusher are sort of tracing the known history of this microvirus. And they find out that there's two identical deaths involving people from the Lornat clan. And they're like, ah, we're onto something. We're onto something. And I thought that was so cool that like, okay, we're starting to trace this together. We're, you know, they're being Sherlock Holmes in space and it's going well, because as you know, any investigation you undertake, you find a new piece of evidence Mm -hmm. and it could mean one of a million different things. And there's Mm -hmm. really, 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 it's very difficult to narrow down like, well, which which of these ideas like do I run with first, Mm -hmm. right? It's just sort of like a sphere. You're like, I could go in any direction. I don't know. But I love that they're very quickly onto something and they find that it's a missing link. And the missing link is our girl, Utah. Mm -hmm. And they find this photo of a clan leader of the Lornak clan who was on his way to trial for some piracy, I'm sure. And he died of a heart attack just before his trial and they find a photo of him this is technology like i my nerd heart was so effing happy sharice because they like removed a person and then mm-hmm. the computer was able to extrapolate just from like a little sliver of a face mm-hmm. you see and then it reconstructed the face and it was fucking utah and i was like oh like everybody suddenly was like oh no yeah and they're Instantly. like this picture is 53 years old and she hasn't aged a single day And I love how like data spotted her. She was standing Uh behind someone and you could only see Mm -hmm. like a corner of the top of her head, like her head and one eye. And a little bit of blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of blonde hair, a hood and like an eyeball. And data's like, oh, there you go. There's the connection right there. And they're like, (laughs) what do you mean? And then after they do the facial reconstruction, they're like, oh my gosh, it's Utah. Like, how is that possible? It's not like, it's not like it's her mom. It's not her great grandmother. It's not someone who looks a lot like her. It is her. Yeah. And you're like, what the what? Yes. And as a viewer, you're like red alert (laughs) because we know she's already killed someone, but this is a whole other layer to that onion where you're like, wait a second, wait a second. Okay. The old man said he'd seen you before, but it was impossible. And you're like, well, I was able to possibilize it. (laughs) (laughs) And then suddenly here's this 53 year old photo where she looks exactly the way she does now. And you're like, oh shit, this is okay. This is like even worse than we thought before. Um, yikes. That's all so, I had to say. Yeah. So this is just so cool. This puts together 
all the pieces for us. And it wraps it all up in this nice bow where we find out that going back to what the sovereign said about the clans and all the stuff, we find out from data's research that a long time ago, two of the clans were in a bloody battle as the clans are ought to do. And it was mm-hmm. the Bornak and the Trilesta. And he said, they finally finished their battle at such and such time. And Riker was like, well, how did they finish? Like, how did it end? And he said, well, the Lornak killed every single last Trilesta. Yeah. It was an in ambush, this huge, yeah. yeah, ambush. And then it was this huge massacre, killed all of them. There were none oh. left on record. Also, by the way, they had a little infographic, like a little animation of like the battle. And I'm like, y'all had that kind of technology to track where everybody was in this swarm of people in a battle that was over a hundred years ago. What? What does yes. that? Yeah, Wait it was kind of like those satellites um, <laughs> that are in orbit and they show little heat signatures. That's what it looked like. I guess like. so. Yeah, yeah, back, yeah, back in the 80s, like, was that kind of technology in television regularly? I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't. Yeah, that might have so. been that might have been one of the first times ever. It might have been because I'm thinking know. to I'm t- thinking of one of my favorite movies, Enemy of the State, where they talk about all the crazy technology that's used to spy on us. It's a mm-hmm. Will Smith movie, but that's from the 90s. Ooh. It's like two or three years later. Where it's like, hey guys, there's all this technology and it's scary, but that was all new. People were like, what? There is? Oh my gosh, people are looking at me from space. Ah, yeah. You know, but like, so I'm thinking like in 1989, seeing heat signatures was probably not things that a thing that now today, at the time of this recording, which is 2021, where yeah. people are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like satellite photos of heat signatures, sure. You know, like it's like yeah, not a big deal. Yes. So, anyways, yes. yeah, we're seeing this and we find out that. The Lornak destroyed all of them. As far as we know, there are no more Trilesta. And that's the only thing that could end the blood feud mm-hmm. is just completely annihilating this clan. Mm-hmm. So then we see um, Yuta and we're like, oh my gosh. So she's got to be one of these Trilesta. And we heard her say in the beginning, she is like the last Trilesta. And yeah, we didn't the know what that meant. Yeah. Of the of the clan. And we were like, we didn't know what that meant. And now we're like, oh my gosh, wait, how? So I was thinking at this time before they uncovered the face, I was like, maybe she was a baby. You know, and like, yeah, she escaped, like Superman style, you know, mm-hmm. like they sent the baby away and then it was raised on earth, or whatever. I was like, maybe she was a baby and that's how she escaped. And then they showed the photo and I was like, wait, what? Wait a minute. That's still her. Uh, and she hasn't aged. And wait, this was 50 years ago. So even if she was a baby, she'd be an old lady now. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? So mm-hmm. I needed her to give us just a little bit more closure, which she helpfully does in the next scene. She, she <laughs> does. Yeah. So. Chorgan's ship, the negotiations are not going super well. Um, and they decide to have this little break and enjoy some brandy together, which I thought, uh, kudos Picard, because you could at least be like, okay, in a negotiation, the real key is finding some common ground when two disparate groups are speaking and can't seem to agree on anything. So he's mm-hmm. like, well, we can at least agree that the brandy is delicious or that we're going to enjoy mm-hmm. some brandy. And I was like, yes, Picard, step one in like the first stone in like the roadmap to peace here. Mm-hmm. And now that we know what Utah is and what she's there to do, the sovereign says, Utah, why don't we, why don't you refresh Chorgan's brandy? And this really bothered me because she's got a little shot glass and the pitcher and she's got and the shot glass is full. So all she has to do is fucking hand it to Chorgan, but she like refills Picard's and then she walks around to the sovereigns and refills the sovereigns. And then she like is very like an ultra slow motion starts walking toward Chorgan. I'm like, girl, this is the last of the Lornak. You are the last of the Trelesta. All you have to do is like casually touch his hand as you hand him this drink and like your vengeance is done. 
you're fucking done. But she takes so long. You know what this is? This is when a bad guy has got his hostage at gunpoint and then fucking monologues. Yep. And you're like, yep, nope. You know what? SWAT team is going to come busting through the windows like any second. That's what that <laughs> felt like. I was like, I'm not rooting for her to kill this dude. But I was like, you are seriously. T- okay, remind me to never hire you as an assassin because you would take forever <laughs> to get the job done. Um, so while she's yeah. tiptoeing over, Torgon. <laughs> she is. Uh, while she's doing the, the moonwalk over to Torgon, um, Riker beams down and is like, Yuta, step away, back away mm-hmm. now. And this guy, one of the gatherers goes to like fight Riker because this armed man just beamed onto their ship. Yep. Like what the Makes F? Sense. Makes and sense. And so Riker quickly disables him by shooting him with the phaser. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? You can't just go onto somebody's ship and start shooting them. How did this not turn into a total firefight? With, mm. by the way, your captain and the effing sovereign and the head of the gatherers all here. Like this yeah. is a political is a bad place. disaster yeah. waiting to happen. Instead of coming down their guns blazing, shooting people, how about you just beam you to back onto the bridge? How about we do that? You know what? I love that. That's so much better because he does shoot that first guy. And then he says, Chorgan, do not move. Your life is in danger. And Yuta at first is like, I don't know what you're talking about or whatever she's doing. <laughs> but, like, okay. Like, I, w- I wish you guys could have seen Andrea's face right now. <laughs> she just did that voice because it was everything. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> it was just so dumb. I hate weak-willed people in movies. It drives me nuts, but I guess they they drive the plot forward. So who cares? But, uh, but yeah, so he's like, Yuta, we know who you are. We know what you are you need, don't move. And he shoots her with a phaser and it's still set on stun. So he kind of keeps like upping the stun. He shoots her a few times. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking at this point, you've got the gun pointed at Utah. Why not just, I don't know, get Chorgan off the bridge and be like, let's put you in a secure room or off the fucking ship. And like, let's beam, let's beam mm-hmm. Chorgan like to the enterprise at this we point. Got a lot of, we have a lot of beaming options. We can beam the actual killer out of the scenario. So that would, I think, be the most helpful. We could yep. also be the, the victim out of the scenario. Mm-hmm. We got mm-hmm. a lot of options besides like just shooting her over and over and over. But I guess none as dramatically satisfying as this. Although I do think if Chorgan suddenly like beamed away while she's like lurch, l- lurching towards him, that yeah, should actually jump really dramatically satisfying, right? Because she'd be like, no, doggy. Yeah, yeah, something. Well, Riker... I love Riker's last attempt where he was like, Utah, don't do this. And like, it's a close up on his beard and his blue eyes. And he's like, don't make me do this, please. And I was like, oh, Riker has to kill like this woman that he has feelings for and has feelings for him. And I was like, oh God, this is so heavy. Terrible scenario. But then, you know, she explains her purpose and why she's there and why she has no choice. Right. She says that actually all the Trelesta clan were not destroyed. Five of us survived the Lornak raid and mm-hmm. I was the one chosen to be transformed. So my, you know, four brethren and I did all kinds of crazy space future technology stuff on me so that my cells would not age. They did all the space magic so that my cells would not age. And I would have this microvirus created just to destroy the Lornak, which by the way, viruses are already small. So calling it a microvirus is a bit redundant, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Thank you, Sharice. That's like, I just realized that that's like a really dumb name, but anyways, so, um, 
so she's like, this was my mission. Like everyone I've ever known has died. My entire clan has died. The other four people who helped transform my body have died. I've mm-hmm. already killed a few people. This guy is the last Lornak and I am the last Trelesta. Like once I kill this guy, we win the blood feud and then you can kill me. And then I guess we lose. I don't know. But like they, then they're done. Then it's just it's yes. totally over. Both clans are history. And now we can finally forget about this thing that's been going on forever. And, you know, he Riker is just like, you don't have to do this. And she's like, I do. After everything that's been sacrificed, I can't come to this last step and turn around, which really, even if she had turned around, she'd still have to answer for the guy she just killed. And also that other guy she killed. Like, I mean, there's no there's no out for her here. This is like talking yeah. to someone off a ledge who's like killed their whole family or something. Yeah. It's like, we're like this. There's yeah. nothing. There's no reason for them to come off that ledge. There's absolutely no reason. Even your pretty face is not enough mm-hmm. to call them back because there's not, there's, she's got nothing to lose. Um, and she kind of explains that I've got nothing to lose and it's really sad. And everyone's just kind of like clutching their pearls, looking and seeing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then he, well, yeah, you're, you're right. So you're right. Maruk and you, t- I mean, I could see why Chorgan can't move, but Picard and Maruk are both sitting there like, can you, can you pass the brandy? Like, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. And then Utah makes a final attempt. And apparently, you know, I thought here you could just like kill her and she would just fall down dead like a person would mm-hmm. if they get shot with a phaser. But she mm-hmm. just disintegrates. Yeah, that's level 10 on the phaser. Apparently. Because yeah. the phaser that's- has a lot of settings and one of them is like kill where they shoot you and you fall down dead. But then one of them is like turned to dust, like turned to ash. Dang. Because sometimes they do that with inanimate objects too, where they like blast it and it just totally disappears. Like it doesn't just, oh, okay. it, doesn't, it doesn't explode. It just like disintegrates. Um, and they use this particular technique a couple times in Trek where the per- where they do it with a person, where the person actually ceases to exist. Instead of having a That's body to deal cool. with, they just like disintegrate. Well, I feel like, you're like if you're going to set to kill, just set to disintegrate, then you don't have cleanup to worry about. That's, That's so true. much easier. That's, That's so much easier. So they sit there and watch, you know, Picard and Maruk sit there completely not moving and watch Utah get completely disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And I first, I was like, you're just going to sit there and do nothing or like say nothing or even like change your facial expression. And it turns out that in order to make that scene work where mm. the actress was standing there and then they had to like reset where she wasn't, it was multiple layers in that scene. So Picard and Maruk were in the background. So they had to just sit still and not move. That was the Otherwise only way to superimpose. Yeah. yeah. The like disintegrating effect. Mm-hmm. Although Jean, um, I was going to say Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart though, did take issue with that with the writers. And he's like, he's just supposed to sit there and do nothing. And they're like, it's the only way we can get the shot. Yeah. So they did. It's because of the technology that they had in the eighties or like in 1989, 1990 to pull yeah. this scene off. But I will say it was worth it because that disintegrating effect is like, <gasps> it's more shocking than if she just dropped dead and you could be like Beamer to sick Bay, Beverly, maybe there's something you could do. It's like, nah, yeah. there's nothing anybody can do. She's physically gone. I mean, yeah, there's so much left. more, it's so much more impactful to see that. Mm-hmm. And then in our very next scene, you see um, Rikers just drinking in 10 forward or just, you know, kind of, grieving and you hear Girl, even in the 24th century people drink their problems away even if it's synthahol yep. that's right they drink or have some I have some chocolate ice cream um <laughs> i would be i would be on the troy train with that one but um <laughs> you hear kind of like this like you hear uh picard kind of saying what happened afterwards or whatever and that there was a truce established between the gatherers and they, they came back to live in their home world whatever and again 
in the beginning of the episode, that was so important. By the end of the episode, you could care less about what happened yeah. to them because you're like, oh yeah. my gosh, Riker just like murdered someone and it was someone he cared about. And it was like, he disintegrated her. And, you know, you're still kind of like reeling from what just happened because we didn't have the benefit of a commercial break, right? We, yeah. we were watching this on Netflix. So we go straight through to like the grieving yeah. and Picard comes in and is just like, hey, so we're going to have some extra shore leave. All right. See you later. And that was his nice way of being like, I think you might want to take some time after yeah. you just murdered your would-be lover, but should have been explicit. And I was like, where's Troy? We need Troy now. Like we need somebody. We need guided. We need somebody. Troy's like, oh, so you killed your lover. All right. Well, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not helping you through this. I just said, I just hit mine back to his planet. <laughs> yeah. I guess the Parthas weren't that good. Anyway, so yeah, she she's nowhere to be found. Um, this this for me brings up the question though. The amount that Starfleet officers are allowed to kill and then just resume their duties mm, like mm-hmm. nothing is ridiculous. I'm gonna say it's a little problematic that you can just shoot mm-hmm. your body double, shoot your lover, whatever, mm-hmm. send them out the airlock. And then you're like, there's a concert in 10 four tonight. Right. All right, let's go. I'll go change my uniform. Yeah, get it is. Me. It is a bit sociopathic now that you mention it, but my thinking is that I'm just now right thinking. Cause you just said that is like, <laughs> they're dealing with all these different cultures and worlds and stuff. And they always have this whole prime directive thing. And we will go by your rules and your laws and all of that stuff. But I'm thinking in this situation, it kind of reminds me of like the Kevin and Rashawn situation in, in the Survivors episode where like this guy's all powerful and he like destroyed all these. He killed an entire civilization. But like, yeah. who's going to really call him to account? Nobody. How are you going to punish That's him? True. You're not. And I feel it's something similar here. Like, who's going to punish Riker? It would be the gatherers, but he just saved their lives. It would be the sovereign, but she was a traitor in their midst. It would be you know, not their planet. They don't care. It wouldn't be the Federation. They don't care. It wouldn't be the Trelesta. There's no more of them. It wouldn't be her family. There's yeah, no, you're it's right. like there's you're no right. one to call them to account. So there are certain people that they can just kill willy nilly and there's no authority. Yeah. To answer I to. feel like there needs to be some oversight though. Like yeah, by somebody. Okay. So one of our officers just murdered somebody. I think we might need to open up a investigation on this and like maybe have a tribunal or something to be like, or at least counseling even if we're not going to punish them for you know their murder of people throughout the show maybe we should look at their mental health why is there so much murder (laughs) maybe we can do some preventative measures your point is well taken like i know what you mean like there's got to be some oversight into like even just questions being asked like should you maybe have beamed over or could you have just beamed utah Mm-hmm. out of there mm-hmm. or something like some questions need to be asked when, when decisions like this are being made. Um, and yes, let's just make it a blanket statement across Starfleet and the universe. If you kill someone, you need to go to counseling because mm-hmm. whether it was on purpose or inadvertent, mm-hmm. there's some feelings that need to be worked through. I think. Yeah. Or like on duty or in a battle or poor Jordy on that planet fighting for his life. Like if he had killed that Romulan guy, he would need some therapy. Yeah. He sure would. For all of the emphasis that's put on like the ship's counselor, you really don't see a lot of therapy. There's an episode later where Troy loses her empathic ability. I don't know if you remember that. And she, you see her like in her counseling sessions with members of the crew. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I can't really help you for counseling because I can't sense how you're feeling. And that's really the first time I think you see any kind of like therapeutic, like psychology Mm, happening mm -hmm. in Starfleet where I'm like, why, you know, if it's important enough 
to have a ship's counselor, I would think that therapy would be like much more widespread in Starfleet. I don't know, especially with a fucking accidental killing going on. Yeah, I think so too. And I think this is one of those, like it was one of those signs of the times that the fact that it was filmed in the early nineties is like the culture was not big on therapy in general and certainly not like post-traumatic stress and, you know, um, like really relevant reasons to have, it was, it just wasn't so culturally common at the Mm -hmm. time, which is why we had a ship's counselor, but none of us knew exactly what the ship counselor did until like season six. Right. We're yeah. still kind of like, what's her, like, can't we just use Guinan? You know, we're just, yeah. I mean, she would be so much better. <laughs> she would be, she would be so much better. Um, but you know, I'm going to keep writing that <laughs> until the wheels fall off because Guinan does rock. Anyway, this has been super fun. It's been a very meandering look at the, at the vengeance factor, but I've enjoyed it so much. Do you have any final thoughts before we move on to next week? You know, the only thing I would change about this episode is the title. Because for some reason, it just doesn't quite hit home. But besides that really small thing, this was a great episode. I think it was really great, too. I agree. I totally agree. I loved it. When I saw that it was the Utah episode, I was like, oh, yeah, this is good stuff. Like, I... I was definitely sinking in for like a good watch. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, next week we are breaking down season three, episode 10, The Defector. Can't wait to jump into that one with you. Um, And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.